Recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up, turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchy and you and Christy. Welcome to episode number 39 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchy, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cameron. Ewan is an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada, and online at duntroon.law. I'm a PR guy based in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend and you can follow us on social, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can subscribe to our YouTube and SoundCloud channels. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter at prlawpodcast.club. Ewan, what's happening over in Toronto? Well, I'm on the night shift, Cam. On the night shift, which is uh, exciting. I'm uh, I'm drinking one of my... Have you heard of these Advent calendar beers? I have. I think these are relatively these? new, but I have heard about them, and I think it's a fantastic idea. I Well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, as I'm sipping on one of them, it is a glorious idea. This was uh, a Christmas present um, from my wonderful wonderful wife and uh she got got me this it's 25 days of beer um from from the indie ale house it's a a local brew pub here shout out to indie ale house here in uh the, the wonderful city of toronto and um yeah it's a it's a different beer every day i'm i'm i've been way behind so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm still i'm only on beer 15 i didn't know there were days uh, camp calendar for january <laughs> i think you're supposed well, to finish well, them a while I'm ago i'm way behind i'm still catching up this is it, it's supposed to be for december and i uh i'm i i just you know i i don't know about you i haven't been um well it's not like i, I mean i was a, a huge drinker to begin with but um I've noted that while I, I understand a lot of people have increased alcohol consumption during the pandemic, but I, my consumption's actually decreased quite dramatically. Yeah, I, don't, too. I don't know if you've, yeah, how about you. Yeah, I found the same. I mean, I found this just as I get older the last couple of years in particular, like I noticed uh, alcohol intake has gone down quite a bit. Again, like you, not that I was a big drinker before or anything like that. Um, but especially with the pandemic, like the bars are closed here right now anyway. Um, you know, in the evenings, you can still go out. There's still places, you know, to get a beer at sort of a roadside stand or something. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. With the pandemic, it's just you're at home anyway. I think a lot of people, like I have not shaved you and again in like another two and a half months. So <laughs> I don't look too presentable. So I'd rather just sort of be my recluse in, in the house here growing my beard. Well, well, to that point, maybe you should post a photo of your beard and I should post a photo of my hair because it is <laughs> oh, really? getting, it's getting incredibly unruly. Cause well, I can't, I can't get a haircut. There's, yeah. you know, we're, we're on total lockdown. There's no place I can go to get my haircut. Um, I'm, I am stuck and it is continuing to grow at, I mean, I guess I should be lucky at this, at this point in my life that my, uh, my hair still grows like a weed, but it's, it's, it's growing. Yeah. You are lucky to have that actually. You and I'm growing a lot more hair on my face uh, than I am on my head. 
Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to askus at prlawpodcast.com. That's all one word, askus at prlawpodcast.com. Or on social media with the hashtag PR Law Pod. That's hashtag P-R-L-A-W-P-O-D. Speaking of being locked at home working, I think you have a uh, question to resolve on this subject. Yeah, um, this is a question I have been getting a lot, Cam, since the, the, the beginning of the pandemic. And that is with regard to work from home expenses. And I've had a lot of calls mm-hmm. from a lot of employees who have you know, had to effectively build work from home offices overnight. Um, and they've had to buy computers and printers and upgrade their internet infrastructure, all that kind of jazz. And, and, you know, as anybody knows that stuff, it's not cheap. And of course they're wondering, are they on the hook for that? Do they have to pay for it? Um, does their employer have some obligation to pay for it? Yeah. It's a natural question because I mean, people do have to stay at home. Uh, a lot of businesses you know, have their, their, their computers in the office, then don't provide laptops, for instance, um, or, or just other tools that people might use from home if they need a printer or regular office supplies and things like that. Um, so, I mean, are people on the hook for this or is there a way to kind of get their employer to pay for it? Well, yeah, I mean, the short answer is, yeah, they're on, they're, they're largely on the hook for it. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's, there's no sort of legislative framework that protects, employees in this regard that states, you know, thou shalt pay for, for all employees, <laughs> relevant work supplies. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the law really hasn't caught up in that regard. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't sort of reasonable situations where you can turn to your employer. So, I mean, you know, like all things in employment law, Cam, the first thing you want to look to is the employment agreement. What does the agreement have? What does it say? Do, you know, does it contemplate something about reasonable business expenses. Um, most employment agreements do. And if they do, well, I mean, you know, I, 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 it's not unreasonable to go to your employer and say, well, look, this is most certainly a reasonable work expense. And that's the fact that my computer no longer functions or it's completely out of date or it's not new enough that I can carry on Zoom calls or my internet infrastructure, whatever it is that you require to carry out your day-to-day duties and responsibilities, you know, all employees effectively are are within their rights to to confront their employers and say, hey, are you willing to, to foot the bill on this or at least contribute to it? So contract is one then. So people should take a look at their contract, see if there's anything in there that references uh, these kinds of expenses or, or tools. Do they have any other any other options to pursue? Not really. Again, it's the <laughs> yeah. short answer, Cam. Um, you know, again, you can you can speak speak with your employers and see if they're prepared to prepared to make some contribution. I mean, the, the other alternatives we can look to, Cam, are, are government subsidies, right? Are there any subsidies or tax deductions? I know, for example, um, here in Canada, the, the Canada Revenue Agency, which is sort of the Canadian equivalent of, uh, you know, the U.S. IRS, um, they've introduced a new deduction for the 2020 tax year for employment expenses related to working from home during the pandemic. So, you know, that's that's something. Um, so, you know, people should certainly look into, is, is there anything that the government is offering in that regard? I, I mean, I, I looked into this briefly in terms of um, 
you know, our friends to the South. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately the situation in the United States isn't quite um, as, as, as favorable to employees in this regard as it is here in Canada. Um, What is kind of interesting is that apparently there was in the federal system um, a tax break where employees could claim itemized and unreimbursed work expenses sort of as part of their, you know, miscellaneous deductions. But Cam, this option was eliminated after um, the 2017 tax changes under the Trump administration. I see. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, hey, maybe that's something that, um, you know, incoming um, president-elect Biden will address. But, you know, for now, you know, there's not a lot, of, not a lot on the table. And I think we're going to see some changes in terms of uh, the tax codes as we go forward, Cam, because, of course, working from home arrangements aren't going away. And, you know, unless you're self-employed, which is where you typically find those deductions, um, you know, the tax code is going to have to get caught up in terms of addressing this as an issue. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's, you know, important. The third item here, though, Ewan, that I wanted to bring up is, you know, even if there's nothing in the contract and even if there is no government subsidy or tax deduction in the jurisdiction um, in which you're working, you can still ask your manager or your boss or your supervisor to do this because, um, you know, it, it, it can happen. I think a lot of companies right now are, are trying to help their employees as best they can uh, get their work done. I think in many cases, you know, these companies are hurt quite badly, um, you know, by, by COVID and they might not have the financial wherewithal to do so. But I think it's absolutely worth checking with them uh, because, you know, there, there may be some way um, for you to do that, even if it's just being reimbursed much later down the road, you know, when the business in, is in a healthier state. But that's another option as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. Right. And I mean, here's the thing. There there could be benefits to the employer to providing um, some sort of stipend or um, you, providing equipment like this to the employee in terms of a, a tax taxable benefit for the employer. Um, but then, of course, keep in mind, I mean, that cuts both ways. If your employer provides you with some sort of stipend in that regard, then it becomes taxable to you when you're doing your income tax. So, you know, right. employers might be able to find some benefit there if they're looking for some additional write offs. Um, I mean, you know, if you're if you know your team uh, and a group of employees require new computers, that might be a good opportunity to capitalize on a write off like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean. You know, ultimately, Cam, you're right. I mean, they've employees should be speaking with their employers. They should open dialogue around these issues. And again, in most work environments, the reality is, is that if you've got enough employees who who make a big enough stink about something, the employers are going to address it in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I'm going to um, digress here a little bit, Ewan, because it reminded me of something that I've been doing throughout my, my working career. And that is I like to own my own devices rather than have the company own them. And I don't even really know where that comes from because I've been that way throughout my entire life, you know, especially in PR, because, you know, you have to have a mobile phone in PR and, you know, reporters are going to call you at all hours, you know, and they need to be able to reach you easily. And, and my fear was always that you work in an, for an employer for several years and, and tons of your contacts have your, your, your phone number there. But if it's your work-based phone, they can take it away from you when you resign and move on. And you've lost all those people that had your number now don't have your number. 
And so I always wanted it to be, especially for something like a phone number, that it was my own sort of SIM card or my own phone um, that I'm using. So I can still control that even after I've left because I don't want to give the employer that kind of kind of control. I don't know if that's common, you and do, do other people do that or am I just a bit nuts? Well, well, I don't think, well, I don't <laughs> think it's nuts. I think, um, employees might be wise to, um, to, to follow suit cam, but you know, you have sort of stumbled on a, a critical issue and that's that, you know, that device that your employers provided you with, it's your employer's device. It does not mm-hmm. belong to you. You do not have ownership over that device. And and that might seem like common sense, but you'd be shocked at the amount of cases that occur where you have employees that are, are terminated for just cause on account of you know inappropriate behavior conducted over one of those work devices once the the employer finds out. So um, you know, you've got, you've got to be careful if you're going to go down that road. So I, I don't think it's the worst idea. Um, but again, uh, is that within the confines of what your employer is going to permit? Um, you know, they may want you using one of their specific devices, particularly in a work from home arrangement where they know that they're going to be able to monitor your work activity. Um, that's, you know, yeah, that, and that, that might be a concern for them. You know what? And, and using your own phone, for instance, um, I mean, even in my situation now, the employer, if you want to get your work email on your phone, for instance, depending on what sector you're in, there's different sensitivities around this. In finance, it's 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 very strict. They will often put a different app on your phone for you to access your your email that is made by BlackBerry uh, in Canada. But for, for others, oftentimes you have to install a certificate on your phone, and that basically gives your employer access to your entire device anyway even if it's your own personal one, because that's the trade-off that IT departments have, which is, okay, you can use your own device and your own phone number, but you have to install this certificate, which gives us access to your email um, and things like that for monitoring purposes and just so you can get your your, your work email. So, so even in cases where you're using your own phone, it's still not something you know you want to be careless with. You want to keep an eye on what you're doing on there and still be aware that your employer, in many cases, still has access to that data. Well, yeah. And, you know, as we talked about last week, Cam, your conduct outside of work, <laughs> storming storming the Capitol, for example, could very easily result in the <laughs> termination of your employment. So um, absolutely, whether it's your device, whether it's the employer's device, I mean, govern yourself accordingly, right? Yes. Moral of the story, don't storm the Capitol. Uh, anything else on this one, Ewan? Yeah, well, I mean, one, a few quick points. Sure. So first of all, for new employees who are looking to execute employment agreements, this might be a consideration. It's certainly something I've raised in employment agreements I've negotiated on behalf of employees recently. I, I just finished um, putting one together last week. And one of our requests was a work from home stipend saying, you know, we want X amount of dollars every year um, for this employee to ensure that he or she can can purchase the necessary equipment that they they require to maintain a you know a, a functioning home from work from home office so you know if if that's not something that's in your contract and you're looking to execute a new agreement with an employer it might be something you want to consider negotiating because look i mean this work from home thing, it ain't going away anytime soon. So, you know, you best try and capitalize it on it as an employee as, as best you can. Very good advice. Anything else? 
<laughs> well, one last thing, one last thing. And that is, you know, we talked about you can't really compel your employer to provide you with with this equipment and, and foot the bill. Well, I mean, one one example where you could is, you know, most employers have uh, a duty to provide a safe working environment for employees. Right. So just because you're working from home, if there's a particular piece of equipment, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of situations where this would would apply. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if there was something that you required to ensure that your work environment was safe and it was, you know, sort of integral to your day to day working activities and duties, well, then that might be a situation where you could turn around and, and ask your employer to foot the bill. Yeah, that makes sense, especially for for things like that. And I would guess too, like things like securing information. Um, again, depending on the sector that you're in, sometimes the information that people are handling are really sensitive, um, and there, there there may need to be sort of extra protocols and uh, around sort of information management. All right, Ewan. Yeah, those are uh, those are good tips. Uh, do you have anything else on your? Uh, on your tip list there <laughs> on my tip list no uh, only only to say that i'd really like to see some consultation here so this is where governments mm-hmm. and need to sit down right we need we need members we need elected officials sitting at the table with the public sector sitting down with the private sector and having a discussion with employers and employees but how are we going to tackle this problem? Because we know that this is going to be a new reality. And this isn't just a pandemic related thing. When the pandemic ends, we are still going to continue to see far more, you know, this proliferation mm-hmm. of work from home arrangements. Oh, yeah. They're not going away. Yep. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with it in terms of our employment law? How do we deal with it in terms of labor codes? How do we deal with it in terms of tax codes? All of this stuff, Cam, it's going to have to be addressed because this is this is the new working world. And, um, you know, we, we got to figure out a way to get it fixed. Show your support to the PRN Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRNLawPodcast.com. That's PRNLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. Ewan, there's a couple of things I want to tackle uh, this week. I'd actually prepared to talk a little bit about the personal qualities or or uh, character traits that a good PR person would have because there was an article about this that I found quite um, quite interesting but WhatsApp stepped into a massive pile of you know what this week and I, I think it's a, a great example of how poor communications can really impact your business in, in a real tangible measurable way and you and I know you use WhatsApp did you get a message from them last week by chance? Oh, I sure did, Cam. And I'm really, really happy you brought this up because I spent a long time, actually Friday night, as a matter of fact, um, sifting through WhatsApp's terms and conditions and its uh, privacy policy. And what a bunch of goggly goop as somebody who has to read this kind of stuff on a day to day basis. um, There was all these sort of opaque references to Facebook about, oh, click here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to determine how we share your information with Facebook. And then you get there and say, no, 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 you got to click over here. Um, so I'm, I, yeah, I go on cam. I, I want to, I want to dig in. Let's, let's, let's get this sorted. Yeah. And I think we should have some context here as well. I mean, WhatsApp was an individual uh, application um, that was started by two guys who eventually sold it to Facebook many years ago for a song 
as it turns out. Um, and so Facebook has owned WhatsApp for many, many years already. And I'm still surprised that a lot of people aren't aware of that because I think right away, I mean, Facebook, we've talked about Facebook multiple times on this show, including last week, um, just about sort of the way the company operates uh, and some problems that the company has and how it's been detrimental to U.S. democracy, just to say the, the least. But anyway, the, the founders did leave the company in 2018. And this was a story at the time because they said, you know, they built WhatsApp. And even at the time of the sale to Facebook, they were assured that, you know, it would never mix with Facebook, that WhatsApp would be kept separate, its data would be kept separate, and there would be end-to-end -end encryption, and it would not interact with Facebook data in any way. And even back in 2018, that was changing. And the, the founder, the final founder who was still there, left in disgust at the time. So it was a story back then. But the issue this week is you received a message, as did almost 2 billion other people who have WhatsApp installed on their phones. And the message was poorly phrased because it, it basically said that, you know, the, the privacy uh, conditions and the terms and conditions are going to, to change because of uh, WhatsApp businesses and Facebook businesses, which is basically WhatsApp is opening some new functionality, which is going to enable people to interact with businesses through WhatsApp. Some of that is already out there as well. And they want to change the, the privacy policy basically to address this. However, that wasn't made entirely clear in the message. And the message also said that users' accounts would not no longer work if they don't accept these changes by February 8th, which is just a few weeks from now. So naturally, Ewan, I mean, people panicked. People began looking around for an alternative. Uh, there's a lot of negative posts on Reddit and across the internet about this. Uh, and people were A, angry at WhatsApp, for changing these terms and working more closely with Facebook, and then B, trying to find something to replace it. And I think it's fair to say you and you kind of fell into this boat, if that's correct. I mean, what did you go about doing besides reading all the legal jargon, you know, in light of this message? Well, Cam, I, I suppose this is probably the simplest answer to your question, and that is that um, I am one of the newest members of the signal app. Uh -huh, yes. So, so that, that, that was what I did. Um, and I knew I can tell you, um, I knew I had never even heard of signal, um, prior to, uh, to last week. So, mm. Hey, I guess that's great for, for their company. Um, but yeah, I immediately did what I guess a lot of other people were doing was I started looking for an alternative. Yeah. And you know, this fascinates me actually, cause I always wonder how do people settle? Like how does the group settle on this app or this service? I, I think it happened at the beginning of the pandemic when zoom became the de facto, you know, video conferencing app. Actually, there's many out there. I'm not sure why Zoom was the one that is now used by everyone. It sort of went across the, the social networks and late night television, and it became the, the one. And I feel like Signal is kind of in that position right now as people leave WhatsApp. And there are other solutions out there. I know Telegram was one that people are moving to. Um, Telegram also um, was big in Hong Kong. I mean, after the protest took a turn in 2019, you know, people were worried about using Facebook products then and Telegram just exploded because you get an alert when any, anytime one of your contacts joins Telegram. And um, my phone was popping every day with people I know adding Telegram. So I, Telegram and Signal are both, are both good. Signal is really the most, I would say it's the, it got the strongest encryption and security around it. Um, it, is a, it is a very good app to use if you are concerned about you know, security and privacy and things like that.
But anyway, I mean, back to the, the WhatsApp situation. I, I mean, people really did leave WhatsApp in droves. At least that's what the data is showing. So many people signed up for Signal, Ewan, that it crashed on Friday. It couldn't support them for a time. So it's a, it's a, it's a big change. And Facebook finally came out, or sorry, WhatsApp came out on Saturday. Um, and they posted a blog post that was, uh, it was, I want to use the term conciliatory. It was very polite, uh, basically saying that, you know, its previous message caused some confusion and that nothing is changing in terms of how it manages chat data. And that is what people were most concerned about is that, you know, WhatsApp is going to be looking at your, at your chat data uh, and, and keeping that information and then using that to, to, to market to you. Um, and they reiterated again that it, this is really around, you know, uh, WhatsApp business and Facebook business. And that's what the changes are for. And so they are extending the deadline to come to terms with these changes to May 15th. Now, there's a couple of things I find interesting here. Number one, they haven't changed anything. They've just delayed the time. They've just provided more time to read the terms and conditions, which I don't think anyone really is going to do aside from you <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe some other, some other lawyers. <laughs> um, so it's not, it's not a, a material change to me. I, I think, you know, the mistake here really was in that message from last week and the way that it alarmed people that their account would be turned off. And that is the way that it read. And it's still not really directly addressed uh, by WhatsApp. Even even now, with the deadline moved to, to to May 15th. So I think, you know, what I wanted to mention, Ewan, is really talk about the fallout from poor communications. I, th I think this is such a great example that, you know, oftentimes PR people deal with their own executives or, or third parties and talk about why we have to write it this way or why we have to proceed from this approach. And sometimes it can seem like being we're overly cautious or or we're too conservative or we're too risk averse or whatever it might be. But this is what goes wrong if, if you don't, if you don't look at it carefully and you don't phrase it carefully. It looks like potentially hundreds of millions of people have opened chat accounts on other platforms on account of the way that that notification was worded last week. And, uh, you know, that that's really difficult for WhatsApp to recover. Well, and you know what? Another interesting point you raised there, Cam, is... It's not like Facebook's ownership of WhatsApp is anything new. Yeah. But what is new, I think, is that when that notification went out, I think there were literally millions around the world who all of a sudden were faced with this reality of, wait a minute, Facebook runs WhatsApp? Yeah. Um, because if you if you look at the way that the app itself is sort of you know, the, the logo, the way that it functions, there's no, there's no Facebook logos. There's no Facebook coloring. There's, there's nothing there that unless you were to sort of poke around um, or were inclined to sort of research these things that would lead you to believe that this was a Facebook product that you were using. And obviously people feel very strongly about Facebook one way or the other. And I suspect that for the first time, albeit inadvertently, um, WhatsApp has brought to the attention of its users that this is a Facebook product. Um, and I imagine that the attrition has a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, I think so. And I can't wait to see numbers on that. I think we will get some numbers on that uh, at some point when, when the surveys are done about why this change was made or why they moved to, to uh, a different platform. But you, I mean, you make a good point here because Instagram is in the same boat, right? 
Like it's also owned yeah. by by Facebook, and a lot of people are not aware of that. And I think you know, as, aside from sort of this subject in terms of you know um, Facebook's ownership, there's something else that's different now, which is just the public is a lot more aware of the importance of this data. Like if you go back a few years, um, even before 2016, which I kind of mark as the turning point because that's when Cambridge Analytica, you know, the the big uh, election scandal happened, where they were harvesting data from Facebook. Before then, there wasn't really widespread recognition of what data collection means and what it's being used for. And now now there is. Like, you're right. People see Facebook as untrustworthy, by and large. But they're also aware of their own data because there's been a number of hacks, you know, at very high-profile organizations, including government ones, you know, where their data has been leaked. And they've had to, you know, go and, and change data or change passwords or or update things. And so this this now matters, you know. And so we're in this time where when WhatsApp sends this out, it is a lot more alarming. If they would have sent a message like this in 2015, I wonder if there would have been the same reaction. So I think those mm-hmm. two things combine to, to to really hurt WhatsApp in this case. Yeah. So I mean, what, <laughs> question I ask you almost every week, Cam. So what do they do? What does WhatsApp do? How do you fix this? You know, I don't think WhatsApp is going to fix it, and I say that because it's owned by Facebook. I I don't. I mean, in general, and and maybe I'm a bit naive. I, I do think that companies want to do the right thing in general. I mean, there's some some obviously bad actors out there and some questionable sectors, of course. I certainly am aware of that. Um, but but I do think companies do want to, to the greatest extent, protect their customers uh, and make sure that their data is safe. But I don't think Facebook does. Facebook needs data. I think when you, when you take a look at Facebook and, and Google, they're, they're the two companies that provide services free of charge. And the reason is, is because the exchanges, they're getting data. And that data can be sold for them to make money. And that's through advertising. Um, I mean, Google and Facebook have basically sewn up the advertising market between the two of them. Um, It's almost not worth going anywhere else to advertise something because of the vast stores of data that those two companies have. And so I, I, I don't see WhatsApp going back on this. I think, you know, one thing they could have done to avoid this was when sending that message out, just be very clear about what it is, because obviously it wasn't clear based on, you know, the reaction from people. And I think using terms like, uh, you know, making the data un- or making their accounts unavailable, um, you know, that stuff too, that that alarms people. I mean, WhatsApp, it's not just any old app. It's Families use it to connect. I mean, it's, it's important to people. If you shut that down, I mean, it's going to impact a lot of people who rely on it. So, I mean... These things were predictable, I think, when you take a look at that. And I think now WhatsApp is is really just going to spend the next couple of months trying to explain these changes, but it might already be too late. But I, I mean, also, Cam, I mean, what percentage, I understand there's been some significant attrition, but I mean, the reality is, and we know how tech works, right? It's that people want to be on the platform that most people are on. So if the majority of individuals stick with WhatsApp, I mean, isn't that just going to remain the de facto app that people are going to use? I I mean, you know, I was actually thinking about this practically as well, right? I mean, my family, we have a WhatsApp channel that we, we, we share photos and communication with. 
And I was thinking to myself, well, I've migrated over to Signal. I'd love to get them over to Signal as well. But then I've got to now try and effectively be a spokesperson for this app of, oh, no, no, no. Hey, it does all the things that WhatsApp does. Oh, and I get it. You know, none of your other friends are on it. And oh, no, no, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. But just, just do it because of data. And I think, sadly, the reality is, at the end of the day, that people will continue to go where everybody else is even if it's to their detriment from a privacy perspective. Don't, I mean, don't you generally agree with that? I think Facebook's entire business rests on that premise. In fact, because <laughs> right, fair point. They, fair point. Yeah. They're, they're counting on people not doing it. I mean, they know that it's difficult to switch uh, and to move people to another social network because the more people that are, are brought into a social network, the harder it is to leave. Right. Like once everyone's there and there's almost 2 billion people on WhatsApp, I mean, it's a, a third of the world almost. So yeah, it's it's not going to be easy to switch. I, I guess, I mean, what I'd be hoping for as sort of a consumer advocate would be that people do care now. I think in the past, you know, it was sort of just something they accepted uh, in order to, to communicate conveniently uh, with their friends and family and colleagues. Uh, but I think... You know, I, I hope now that this does matter to people and this little effort to download another app and sign in is worthwhile to people. And I think you and you're, you're probably right. I think a lot of people it won't be worthwhile. Um, and I, I want to note, though, too, like like WhatsApp isn't dominant everywhere. Uh, first of all, like there's two billion accounts, uh, according to latest figures, but they're not all being used. So I would like to know sort of WhatsApp's what we call MAU, monthly active users. Um, because diff different parts of the world have different apps that are strong. So WhatsApp, for instance, is not particularly strong in the United States. So it means a lot less there, but it's very strong in Asia. Um, you know, and it's quite strong in Canada, uh, as well. So there are different, it, it's strong in different markets. It's not strong in all of them. So for some people, this isn't going to be something that they have to deal with. Uh, it's only going to be a big deal for, 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 for people in countries that, uh, you know, use WhatsApp a lot. And Hong Kong is one of those places. Almost everyone here uh, uses WhatsApp. And that's why I'm on it. It's really to cater to, to the people, uh, people around me, which I suspect others are going to have to do too. Wow. Okay. So you think you're, you're of the mind that WhatsApp isn't really going to make much of an effort in terms of damage control here, that they'll effectively take the position that Facebook has always taken, which is, yeah, 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 people will kind of jump up and down and pound their fists, but ultimately they'll go get over it and they'll continue to use the service. Yep. I think that's about right. You know, I, I do think they are going to try and do damage control though, but I think it's going to be in the form of explaining, explaining it, explaining its changes, not changing any policy. You know, it reminds me of the extradition law in Hong Kong from a couple of years ago, which triggered all of those protests. If you remember you and the extradition law was that, you know, people would be able to, under some circumstances, be sent to mainland China for trial. And people mm -hmm. wanted change. And the chief executive just kept saying, no, you know, we'll sit down and explain it to you. The problem is you just don't understand it. It's not a problem with the law. It's a problem with your understanding. I feel like Facebook and WhatsApp are, are, are going to do the same thing. In fact, they've already started with the message. They're saying there's nothing wrong with the change that they're making. It's just that they didn't communicate it well enough. Um, and I think there is some merit there. In fact, it does, you know, mostly have to do, uh, you know, with, with, with Facebook and WhatsApp business. But again, I, the, the, the damage is done and I, I'm not, I'm not so sure they can say anything that would suddenly make people go, Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. You were just misspoken and, and I'll come back now. <laughs> you know, I think trust is really gone with this company in general. 
Well, yeah, I guess I can appreciate that. Yeah, this is a good subject, though. And, I, you know, I, I just want to stress, you know, again, that this is this is this is bad. Like, this is really bad for for WhatsApp, um, because this was a mess of their own making. This is the worst kind, you know, of PR crisis. This is something that was avoidable. And I think, you know, somebody is going to pay the price for this internally uh, at WhatsApp slash Facebook um, in a big way. Uh, this, is a, this is a really big own goal uh, for the communications team. Uh, I'm not even sure who sent out that, that message, Ewan. It's possible that it wasn't sent out by the communications team because it was a product message, right? So it could have gone out from engineers or from another department in the company, um, and maybe it didn't go through, you know, communications channels to, to have a look at it. Um, but but this is exactly why PR teams exist is to avoid uh, this kind of own goal. Yeah, it's just again, I find it so hard to believe that a company of that size and stature would make such, you know, sort of a Bush League mistake because you're absolutely right. I mean, there's nothing about that message that read as though it had been vetted by someone who was a credible, reputable PR person. And if they are, um, I, I, I suspect they no longer have a job. Yeah. Actually, I want to do a bit of a turn here because I do think, so normally in companies like PR teams would look at anything that goes to the media or anything that goes to the public, right? Like, I think that's sort of where it should be. Like anything that is being mass disseminated should, at least the PR team should have a look at it just to make sure but I do think it's possible in these companies because notifications within an app, I mean, it's it's more product related, right? And, and you don't want to push all product things through PR, maybe. Like I can see how that may not happen. And that may be what happened here. I'm not sure. I'm speculating. But I can see how this would happen. I mean, we, we had this incident, again, just an example, you know, when I worked at the, at the subway operator here. I mean, we have a control center that sends out messages to the public. And, and we learned after a while, like the way they worded these messages to the public when there was a train stoppage or a delay, it was alarming. You know? And we had to sort of take control of that a little bit. And it wasn't it wasn't that the, the situation changed. It was just how we worded it changed a bit to just be a little more sensitive to, to things. And it could have been something like that at WhatsApp. That it just didn't go through that channel and, and thus it didn't, didn't work very well. Um, but who knows? And lastly, Ewan, the last point I'll make on this, Facebook has a long history of poor PR decisions. <laughs> and I, I, there's a lot of shows in our, in our archive that review that and, and go through them. So this is not exactly out of character either. I, I feel like at some point, Cam, we should try and have a Facebook executive on this show if they would you know, lower themselves to come on to our program because we we do seem to be taking shots at it frequently um, and at least give them an opportunity to sort of uh, put their perspective forward. And I think, you know, we'd probably be well suited to take on a conversation like that, given uh, what I do for a living and what you do for a living. We should be able to sort of, I would hope, kind of pick apart the arguments. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa, hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait. Oh, check it out, check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR and Law Podcast. Okay, Ewan, what do you recommend today? Anything exciting and new? Well, I don't know if it's exciting. I, I really enjoyed it, though. This was an article uh, from, from the New Yorker, and, you know, I was talking about being behind in my Advent beers, Cam. I'm, I'm behind in my, my reading as well. Mm. So mm-hmm. uh, this, was, this was an article from, 
from a New Yorker, um, December New Yorker of, of last year on it's titled the photographer who set out to watch herself age. Did you oh. read this article? I know you, I know you subscribe to the New Yorker as well, Cam. I don't know if you know, I have not read this, but I think I've seen it mentioned somewhere and I tend to like this kind of thing. So go ahead. Yeah, so it's an article about Nancy Floyd is her name, and she collected nearly four decades of self-portraits and has compiled them in a new book titled Weathering Time. And this was sort of an article just about the process of making that book and compiling the photos and the story behind them. So the collection cam, it includes over 1,200 black and white images dating back to 1982. Hmm. She started at the age of 25, um, taking a self-portrait portrait every morning. And, you know, the idea was to take them for about 20 years and, and as sort of as a, a social experiment so she could watch herself age. But, you know, she sort of quickly realized that actually wasn't all that interesting. And what was much more interesting um, was photographing important people around her, friends and families, um, including herself, of course. And she started skipping weeks and then she was skipping entire months. And then she says she, you know, skipped a significant chunk of the 1990s. Um, But what is really wonderful about the article and about the photos that are in the article as well is, you know, they're all very, very simple black and white. There is, there's nothing particularly, um, you know, fascinating. There's no vanity in the photos Mm-hmm. Her expression remains almost identical in every photograph for over 40 years. Interestingly, in the in the latter part of the process, she starts replicating some of the photos from the early years. So, you know, there's one photo, for example, of her standing on her front porch um, in a particular outfit. And then 35 years later, she somehow finds basically the same outfit and takes a, a self-portrait of herself in the same pose uh, on a different front doorsteps, just lots of really interesting stuff. And all through the process, you see the technology age around her and fashion change and members of her family. And then members of her family, who of course have died. And it really is just, it was a really cool story about, you know, a life cycle captured, um, captured in black and white. And, um, anyway, definitely worth checking out. You know, I love stuff like that, you and I I think maybe it's the result of just getting older myself, but like the process of aging, the changes that happen sort of psychologically and and to the body and just sort of how we evolve over time. For some reason, I, I do find that really interesting and each step along that process. Like I, I love this kind of story and these kinds of photos. So yeah, absolutely. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into that one for sure. Yeah, well, and just the idea of that the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? So yeah. you've got this person and, you know, she's she's photographed with her husband when they're, of course, the two of them are young. And, of course, they, they grow older together as well. And despite the fact that they're in different locations, and again, you know, televisions change and computers change, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's still just the two of them, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're there for that period. That relationship has stood the test of time while mm-hmm. things around it may have changed. Just, mm-hmm. just really kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know, this week you and I, I want to, um, bring something up and I haven't even read the whole thing yet, but this has been 
absolutely fascinating. And it's been referenced in a lot of different places, um, which is how I sort of learned about it was via, via Twitter and some other articles that had mentioned it. It's an article in New York Magazine called The Lab Leak Hypothesis. This is around COVID-19 and the beginnings of COVID-19. If you remember when this all kind of started, I mean, in Hong Kong, we, we were hearing about it regularly in January because, yeah, we're, we're technically part of China. And so, you know, people here were quite concerned right away. And there was some sort of some people wondering if this was, you know, leaked out of a lab or something like that. And it was kind of brushed aside as kind of ridiculous conspiracy talk like QAnon, um, which is sort of where I've stood on it since then up until just very recently. Actually, I still think that's the, the most likely case. But there is now some actual scientists sort of writing about this. Um, Wuhan does happen to be where the world's largest research lab is for zoonotic viruses, zoonotic being from an, from an animal to human uh, virus. And it it's not, I mean, r- right away, it sort of raises questions about, it's a little too coincidental in, in that sense. But there's actually quite a bit of evidence that's growing that this may have not not been a conspiracy or not something that was done on purpose, but something that happened by accident. Um, and this goes through a lot of that evidence. And I think people are having another think about this. And mm. I think it's definitely worth going through because it is in New York Magazine, which is not some sort of crazy conspiracy website. And it's properly sourced. And it's just well worth a read because there's so much about COVID-19 uh, and the origin story that we don't know. And unfortunately, China's really blocking a lot of people from trying to find out. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lab in, in Yunnan province, actually, that um, is sort of a, it's affiliated with the lab in Wuhan. And, you know, a few weeks ago, BBC reporters tried to, to drive out to that, that uh, lab in Yunnan province. And, you know, the roads were blocked. Uh, you know, they sent lorries in the middle of a dirt road so the reporters couldn't reach the lab. Um, things like this that are also just very suspicious. Um, I mean, China does handle information this way anyway, but it is quite startling to the degree, the degree to which China is really holding back information and preventing others from sort of learning about this virus. So if you're into, you know, how this virus started and what some of the theories are and what some scientists are saying, I, I, I highly recommend this. It's, it's really a really enlightening read. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that thing about studying a particular historical event that you have to wait basically mm-hmm. a generation before you're in a position to be able to re- accurately reflect on it from a historical perspective to to cover everything. You know, it's hard to believe that even 25 years, 50 years from now, we'll be able to access the information, right? I mean, China has sort of thrown us a curveball in this particular historical event because... I, I don't know that the access to that information is going to magically materialize in 25, 50 years. We may never actually know um, the full story on this one. Yeah. And it might be even more difficult because there's a lot of misinformation now. Like when, when this broke out in Wuhan, it was sort of a different time <laughs> a year ago. And like China obviously tried to cover it up because the first cases were found in December. As far as we know, it could have been earlier than that, but the first sort of documented cases in December and it was covered up until January 20th uh, when Xi Jinping himself, the president of China, sort of recognized that this virus is happening and spoke about it publicly. And so back then it was sort of 
common knowledge that it came from Wuhan. But since then, uh, because there's been so much, I mean, Donald Trump has obviously criticized China to a, a great degree on this, calling it a China virus and things like that. And there's so much misinformation out there that China has kind of switched switched uh, its footing on this. And it's now saying, how do we know it came from China? It probably came from Italy, they've said, or it's come from Europe. So so China's already gone down this path. And if 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 it's if it's gonna stay there, then it's got even more incentive not to provide any information that would indicate that it originated in China. So I think we've almost gotten worse in terms of the information ecosystem around this. And I think China's really sort of taking advantage of the ecosystem that Donald Trump helped to build, you know, by speaking lies in public and making accusations, uh, unfounded accusations and things like that uh, to the benefit of China because they've taken the same kind of kind of tack. Well, that's, that's just wonderful. It's a great happy. Yay. Lifting happy 2021. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Wonderful. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. We're all just waiting for it to get worse. That's great. <laughs> all right. You want on we, that? We, yeah, we still got a sense of humor, right, Cam? We got to yeah. keep the sense of humor. You got to have that. Somehow. Yeah. Uh, we'll get through it. We will get through it somehow. Uh, anything else, Ewan, before we wrap up this one? That's it. That's all I got, Cam. That's all I got. I'm wishing everybody uh, a good week. If you're uh, on lockdown and uh, educating your child from home, I'm with you. I'm thinking of you. You have my sympathies. <laughs> um, deep breaths, lots of deep breaths, frequent walks as often as you can, uh, and hang in there. Hang in there. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Just think about this. I shudder. Anyway, yes, uh, stay positive out there and uh, yeah, message us as well. If you've got any questions uh, about anything, we'll do our best to, to address them. So thank you again for joining us this week. Um, don't miss any episode. You can subscribe to the PR and Law podcast in your podcast app of choice uh, or on YouTube and SoundCloud. Uh, and you can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and our newsletter at prlawpodcast.club. So for you and Christy, this is Karen McMurchie. Light it up. This has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchie and Ewan Christie. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support.